All right. Ooh, that's loud. Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. Woohoo! Yes. How's everybody feeling? Good, good, awesome, awesome, guys. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the pe campus pastors here at Metro Praise. Uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. Thank you for making Metro Praise your home church today. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. So usually at the start of service, we have someone come up and share a quick testimony of what God has been doing in their life. And uh, Stephanie over here is going to share something that God has been really doing in our life at, up to this point. So everyone, please give a warm welcome to Stephanie as she comes to share. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. It's really awesome to be here. This is a family of God just coming together uh, to worship God, to love him more. And um, I just want to testify on God's, um, God's nearness and his faithfulness and his sovereignty, that he's in control and that no matter what's going on in our lives, we can run to him as our refuge and know that he holds the world in his hands, that he holds us together. And um, just to testify, I came here today and um, one of my friends told me that a friend of theirs um, had been coming to church and they've been inviting their friend to come. And it just so happens I happen to speak with a young lady inviting her to church like two weeks ago or so and she ends up coming. It's the same girl that the friend that comes here is going. So I found this out today, so all glory to God. But God's sovereignty, he really is in control, and he's willing and able to use anybody who's willing and able. Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you with this scripture. It's found in Psalm 73, 28. It said, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Um, that you are our refuge, Lord. I thank you that you are sovereign, God, that you're in control, God, that you're more involved in our lives in every detail than we can never know, Lord. And um, today we just want to honor you, God, and we want to lift up just who you are in our lives and what you do. And um, we just thank you and we welcome you to come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We are in the house of the Lord today. We are excited to be in his presence. Here we walk, there you'll be 
right by my side in my life Shining through me every day You will never fade away Your love is here to stay By my side in my life Shining through me every day Wake within me Wake within me You're in my heart forever Oh, Jesus God, wake us up again, Lord God, we want to be in your presence today more than we want to be anywhere else. God, that is why we came to church today, Lord. And we know that we can be in your presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God. But for some of us, we need to be in this place to recharge our batteries and to get to know you more. God, I pray that we would let every distraction be flee from our minds, God. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would come and have your way in each of our hearts, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, you are holy and you are wonderful, Lord. Oh, be with us today, Lord. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. Sing that again. You won't relent. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. You won't relent until you have it all.
but we don't want to relent either until we are so close to you, God, that, that you would just purify us and make us more like yourself, King Jesus. God, to be in your presence, Lord God, is to change. Let's sing that again. Start with come be the fire. I want everybody in this room to lift up your hands. Are you hungry for Jesus today? Do you want to feel him burn on the inside of you? His word can burn in your bones today. Come on. Let him set you ablaze for his purpose. Let him set you ablaze. I need you. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, come and take control. Burn like a fire. The word says that God is a consuming fire. And he will burn up everything in us that does not, that cannot be there. But you have to want it. You have to let him. Come on. 30 more seconds. Talk to your God. Talk to your Savior. Talk to the one that wants to abide in you every single day. Make a commitment that you want him to burn in you every single day of the week. Jesus, take control. Jesus, take control of our lives. Burn in us, oh God. Burn in us your purpose. Burn in us the passion to preach the gospel, the passion to put you first in every area of our life. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come and gather together as the body of believers to praise you, to worship you, to seek your face, oh God. I ask you would take us to a new level today. Each and every one of us, a new level in our marriage, a new level in our walk with you, a new level of worship and a new level of our devotion, oh God, that we would be changed from glory to glory to glory, not staying in the same place. Hallelujah. Come on, if that's you this afternoon, I want you to clap your hands to Jesus. Give him a hand clap of praise. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. God, you are so good. And what you do is good. And we have tasted and seen his goodness. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. It's so good to see all of you here today. I'm going to have the ushers prepare to pass out the communion elements. This is the first Sunday of the month. We are honored that we get to gather together to preach the, to preach the gospel, to hear the gospel. So honored that we get together to worship Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We take communion on the first Sunday of every month as a, a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me and often, as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. How many of you guys believe Jesus is coming back? Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that is why here at MPI every week we want to preach the gospel. I want to give you guys an opportunity to examine your heart. Are you right with God this morning? The Bible says that the only way to come into heaven, to come before his throne, is by being born again. We must examine our lives every single day. And before we take communion, the Bible says to examine your heart. So I want you guys to close your eyes and spend the next few moments here. Let the Lord speak to you if there's anything in your heart that you need to get rid of. But most importantly, my message is for those that have never been born again. You have not committed your life 100% to Jesus, you are not born again. Get right with God today. He's pleading with you. He died on the cross so that you could receive life and life eternally. The world that we're living in on earth right now, this life is temporary. We're only passing through. Where will you spend eternity? In heaven or in hell? There's only one way through heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you must repent of your sin and turn from your wicked ways, the Bible says, and turn to him and he will heal you. So if that's you, I want you to pray a prayer. As I begin to pray, I want you to pray to Jesus and get right, right with God today. And for the rest who are believers, just examine your heart. Cleanse your heart before the Lord before we take communion together as a family. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room. I ask God for those that do not know you that are not born again, that have not been saved, that have not reached out for your hand to be cleansed by your blood. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day of their new birth, God. I ask that you would bring conviction, God. Your word says that it is your loving kindness that draws all men unto repentance. And I ask, oh Lord, and I know that your loving kindness is here this afternoon and it's drawing men, it's drawing hearts of men and women to your side, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that today they would make a commitment to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. If you mean business with God and you gave your life to Jesus, we're going to have a moment during the fellowship time for you to come up and receive prayer. So I really want to encourage you to come up, not be embarrassed, and say, I gave my life to Jesus right before communion. Pray for me. I want to do this right. Amen.
So let's prepare to partake of this. You guys can get your wafers out. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your body that was beaten and bruised for us. We thank you that, Lord, you did not hold yourself back. But, Jesus, you gave your life willingly as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. All of our sins, all of our sicknesses, and all of our sorrows were placed upon you that day. And, Lord, today we remember. We remember your sacrifice. We remember your body. We remember the crown of thorns that was placed on your head. We thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you for bridging the gap, O oh God that we can come before your presence now with boldness and confidence to receive new life, Jesus. We thank you. Let's partake of the wafer together. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I lift up the grape juice symbolizing, God, your blood. Jesus, the blood you shed on Calvary, we thank you for the blood that washes us clean, that makes us white like snow, that takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west, never to meet again. God, we thank you for your blood that was shed for our transgressions. You redeemed us by your blood. You heal us by your blood. And we thank you, and we worship you. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the grape juice together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands. In your own words this morning, worship. Worship him. Come on, sometimes, you know, we get so dependent on the words on the screen. Worship him in your own words. Tell him what he means to you. Hallelujah, Jesus, you are worthy. Hallelujah, Jesus, you are glorious. You are beautiful. There is no one like you, oh God. Let's sing, come be a fire. Come be a fire in our hearts. As the ushers collect the cups, let's worship to this again. Come on, let this be the prayer of your heart. This should be our desire for him to burn inside of us. confession of faith together 
On the count of three, are you guys ready? The reason why we do this every week is because this is our Christian worldview. This is how we see uh, the society, the world around us. This is the lens in which we process everything. It's grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ. And we're not the only ones. Our brothers, uh, our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world confess this. So let's join with them on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. Please spend some time fellowshipping right now. If you need prayer, we're going to have prayer workers right here up in the front.
What, what? Who's excited to be at church today? Come on, make some noise. It's so wonderful to see all you guys back. Didn't we have an awesome Easter service? We had over 374 people in both services combined. I mean, it was amazing to be able to preach the gospel to all of your friends and family. It was just an awesome, awesome time. So I'm so glad to see all of you guys back ready to jump into this new new sermon series. So we want to welcome you to Metro Praise International. For those that may not know who I am, I'm Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the, the apostolic elders here. And we want to welcome you if, you're, if it's your first time and encourage you to keep on coming back. At MPI, we have our main services our, on Sunday. We have two services on Sundays, one at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That's our family service. We have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m. That's our Elevate Youth service for students 11 to 18. God's doing awesome things there. We have an amazing youth team of youth leaders just pouring into these students. And they are so ready to win their high schools for Jesus. So keep praying for our youth. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Somebody say vision, strategy, and goal. Our vision is loving God, loving people. We want to do that with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our strategy is to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. We'll get that more into detail. But basically, we want to connect you to our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If that gets you excited, say amen. Come on. We want to connect you to life groups. Before I let you know the schedule of life groups for this week, we have an awesome video for you to to present to you the new quarter of spring life groups. Give it up for the spring quarter. Woo! Enjoy the video. What's up, MPI? We want to welcome you guys to our new quarter of spring life groups. We want you to invite all your friends and family and get excited about what God has for this season. We cannot wait to see you at these awesome life groups. They are going to change your life. Come bring your friends and your family. Hey, we're the Goveas, and we want to invite you to our home Bible study where we study God's Word and His presence. We meet every Friday at 7 p.m. where we have a time of worship, word, and fellowship. Bring your children. We have child care provided. And check us out on our Facebook page. Hi, Metro Praise. We are pastors Tony and Jerry Vivid. Please join us Friday nights at 7 p.m. for a Bible study at our house. See you there. 
What's up, guys? My name is Lawrence. I'm one of the leaders at the Resistance Life Group. We meet up every first and third Tuesday at 6 p.m. right here at the church. We have an awesome time of fellowship, getting into God's word, worshiping, and just an awesome time experiencing God. So come out. Feel free to check us out. Hi, we're Stephen and Carmen Ramos, and we host Righteously Redeemed every first and third Wednesday at our home for ages 11 to 18. Meet us at 530 at our home where we will feed your body and then feed your soul with the word of God. See you there, and God bless you. Hey guys, Rudy Santana here with the Ambassadors Youth Life Group. If you're between the ages of 11 to 18, we invite you out. We meet first and third Saturdays of every month at 1 p.m. We hope to see you there. Food, fun, fellowship. Jesus is awesome. What's up, everybody? This is Ishmael and Robin, and we want to invite you to Singles Life Group if you're 18 to 35 years old. We meet first Sunday of the month. We meet here at the church at 4 o'clock. See you there, baby. Hi, everyone. This is Pastor Susie, and I'd like to invite... All the children, ages newborn up to 10 years old, to join us on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for a Royal Rangers Club for Boys and Impact Girls Club. Hi, my name is Cynthia Rodan, and I'm the leader for a single moms group. We meet twice a month on Sundays. We fellowship, we get into the word, we worship. Come check us out on Facebook, and child care is always provided. Hello everyone, it's Ricky and Rachel and we lead the Marriage Life Group and we want you to come out this next quarter to come and hang out with us. We're going to be talking about intimacy in the marriage. We meet every third Sunday of the month at 5 o'clock here at the church. Childcare is provided, so come check us out. Hey, I'm Steve Ramos and I lead up the gang ministry on Thursday. If you have a heart to reach gang members, come meet us at my house at 7 p.m. and let's reach the streets for Jesus. God bless you. Hey folks, it's uh, Pastor Jared here. I want to invite you out for evangelism every Saturday at 5 p.m. We meet at the church. We're going all throughout the city preaching the gospel. Come join us. So awesome. So if you look in your, if you turn your hand out around, you'll see the schedule for the spring quarter. Find a place to connect. Get your family connected, your children, and just be faithful to it this quarter. Here's the schedule of life groups that we have going on just for this week alone. Look how much we got going on. We're kicking it off today with our singles, 18 to 35 years old. An awesome group of young people who love Jesus, are passionate about God, and building relationships with other people who either don't know Jesus, but that they want them to know Jesus. So um, visit their life group today. It's here at the church at 4 o'clock. It's going to be such an awesome time. So build those relationships and get a hold of Jesus there. You'll be very, very encouraged. And we also have our single moms meeting today. Child care is provided every time they meet. It's going to be at 530. There's the address for that. Tuesday, we have the Resistance Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. at the church. Wednesday, Righteously Redeemed Youth Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. Wednesday, every week, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. That's for our children. If you're a parent, bring your children here. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. Thursday every week, we have our gang outreach, life group that goes out into the streets. You have to be 18 years and up for that. They meet at 7 p.m. They go straight up into these streets and preach the gospel to gangbangers. They are looking for the gangbangers. You would be, you would think that they would be harder to find, but they're, they're there. They're not hard to find. They are there, and they are preaching to them. And it's just such a powerful ministry. So join them if you have a heart for that. Also, every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivids. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. 
Find a place to connect. It's such an awesome time for, for that age group. If you're an adult, that's where you want to be on Friday nights. Build relationships in the church and get encouraged throughout the, word, throughout the week with the word of God. Somebody say mentor. We want to mentor you through our 101 book that is done one-on-one. -on -one. Welcome to your new life. It's seven basic steps to, to spiritual growth. And we have leaders ready to take you through that, that will invest into your life, that will encourage you, that will be there for you. When you graduate 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. We have a Sunday morning class, a Thursday evening class. Your journey of discipleship continues there. We raise you up to be a leader in the church. How many of you guys get excited when you hear about raising up leaders? I know I do. It is so exciting. And God wants you to be a leader in his, in his uh, church, in the body of Christ. Then we want to send you out. Somebody say send. Send you out to do evangelism, preach the gospel on the streets to complete strangers who need to hear about Jesus and the gospel message. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, they're hitting the streets. If you want to be trained how to do it, if you want to be encouraged how to do it, if you want to, you know, learn tips and uh, come out of your shell or not be afraid anymore, you want to be on the streets at that time with those warriors who are really going to come alongside of you and show you how to do that. So connect, mentor, mentor and send. Amen. So in recap, MPI has a vision of loving God, loving people, a strategy of connect, mentor, send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. God is so good. How many of you guys are excited to give uh, to the Lord and extend your act of worship through tithes and offerings? Come on. We're going to get into our lesson today, but before I do, I want to let you know that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. An offering is anything that you give above the tithe. That is an amount between you and the Lord. There's no stipulation on that. You want to hear from Jesus and hear if he's, you know, what, what is that amount? You, he wants generosity and he wants a cheerful heart. We designate offering towards missions and towards our building funds. So we'll get more into depth about that in just a second. So let's get into our lesson today. You can go on your phones to givingbook.org. That's where this book is. We're on lesson 14. The tithe is a partnership with God. The tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. We're going to be reading from Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22. Genesis 28, verses 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that, I, that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Here are the two main points from that passage of scripture. Number one, Jacob made a commitment to God. Somebody say commitment. Just like how Jacob made a vow, a promise to serve God, we should commit our lives to always follow Jesus. How many of you guys are so thankful that you got to make that commitment? If you haven't made it yet, it's not too late. Today is the day. Make a commitment to follow Jesus and follow him 100%. And number two, Jacob partnered with God through tithing. Somebody say partnered. In the same way, Jacob was willing to give one-tenth of everything he had in life because he recognized it was from God. We should also be willing to tithe and partner with God. So when we tithe and we give our offerings, we're partnering with God, and we're saying, God, use me to, reach, uh, to preach the gospel and reach the nations with your message. And it's such an honor that he calls us to do that with him, to be his partner. Here's a summary. Make a commitment to serve God all the days of your life and partner with him by giving back 10% of everything he gives you. Here are three ways you could apply it personally to your life. Number one, realize that everything you have and will ever have is because of God. 
Nothing we have is by our own accord. We didn't give ourselves our own brain, our own mind, our own body. We didn't ask to come. We didn't make ourselves just exist. It's all because of him. So now all the abilities that he gives us, we give back to him. Number two, therefore, honor your partnership with God by tithing and not being greedy, stingy, or prideful. Because naked you came into this world and naked you will leave. Only what you do for God will last for eternity. And just like I said in the first service, you never see a U-Haul attached to a hearse on the way to the cemetery. You will not be able to bring that one thing. Only the things they put on your dead body will go with you into the grave. Everything else will be left behind. So let's not build for ourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven where our inheritance is because that's where eternity is. This life is temporary. We're just passing through. And number three, partnership. When God blesses you, bless him in return. Let's confess this together over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of grief through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Let's stand up to our feet this afternoon as we prepare to give the Lord our best. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. We designate offering towards various mission projects throughout the year, and we're, in a, we're currently in a uh, building fund right now, raising the monies for new band equipment. If you want to put on your envelope, uh, I always like to remind you guys and really encourage you on the envelope, put the exact amount you want to go through to each category. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You could see Pastor Jerry if you'd like to do that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase, QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at MPI Church forward slash giving. And I got an exciting announcement for you guys. In the, Mar in the month of March, we raised $3,577. That is amazing. That is, March was the month we raised more than all the other months before. It is our biggest month. That is so much. So in total from January, we have $7,699 left. Uh, that's how much we raised. Left, we have 3421 That amount we have left is less than what we raised in March. So if you guys just all give what we gave in March, this building fund is over. It was amazing. God has provided. You guys have been generous. You've listened to the Lord. You've gave with a cheerful heart. And we're so excited about what God is doing. So we're ready to keep taking the look and everything to a new level and keep reach, reaching the missions. Amen. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and your blessings to our lives. I ask that you bless your people this morning, bless the tithe and the offering, multiply, multiply it for your glory and for your goodness. I pray that we would preach the gospel to Chicago and to the ends of the earth, and I pray that you bless your people and meet their needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
right. How many are ready for Jesus? Amen. Come on now. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the real Christian. You're not just a priester. Come on. You don't just come on Christmas and Easter. You are a real Christian. But you know what? We were so excited to have everybody here last week. You know it's good to have everybody come and show up. But the good thing about today is we're starting a new sermon series. And if you were here for the Easter uh, sermon series, Abundant Life, or joined us last week uh, for the first time even, you're going to enjoy today. So everybody open up your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Peter. Peter was a disciple. How many remember who Peter was? What was something famous about Peter? What did he do? He walked on water, right? What was the bad thing that Peter did that sometimes he's, he's always remembered for? He betrayed Jesus. And then how do we know that after he betrayed Jesus, he was then made an awesome man and did great things? What do we know special about him? What did he do? He was the first one to preach at Pentecost. So the, the start of the church was started by uh, Peter preaching, and yet he was the one that betrayed Jesus. So that shows that God is a forgiving God, a merciful God, and truly someone that we can always come to and ask for forgiveness. Now, Peter wrote two letters, and both of them have to do with growing and knowing God. Everybody say, growing and knowing Thank you. So both of his letters have to do with that, uh, that subject, but today in, for the whole series of spiritual growth, we're going to look at the book of 2 Peter, and 2 Peter really gives us the uh, real practical ways on how to grow. So if you're in 2 Peter, go now to chapter 1, and let's start right at the beginning of the book. Let's start at verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Peter's going to be talking to them after he's already wrote a first letter to them. So just remember that today as we start to go back and look at his first letter as well. Now, it's going to be a little bit lengthy of a passage, but I think it's going to be beneficial because we can really see what spiritual growth looks like. Here, here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now listen to that. He's saying the faith you have received from Jesus is just as precious as the one I have. Now do you think Peter had a precious faith in Jesus? He walked on water, preached at Pentecost. He's already written a book of the Bible. He knew Jesus intimately. And he said, your faith is just as precious as mine. So is there big eyes and little U's? Like, look at big me, I'm a big eye and you're a little U. No, there's all of us equal at the body of Christ. We come to him humbly and we can have that same faith. Now, how many of you have the faith of Peter today? How many of you have a righteous, uh, a pure faith in Jesus? It says here, as precious as ours. How many have a precious faith like Peter? All right, come on. Now, let's keep going. He says to us, those of us who have a precious faith like him. So if you don't have precious faith like him, you can't receive grace and peace. But if you have precious faith, you can receive grace and peace. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Everybody say abundance. Thank you. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is where you really got to begin to understand the difference between knowing and growing and how they work together. Everybody say knowing and everybody say growing. 
You see, knowing Jesus is one thing. Growing and living like Jesus is another thing. And so he is going to say that you have grace and peace and abundance in your knowledge of him, and you have a precious faith. And he's going to begin to say, because of that, you have uh, been given all of these wonderful things and you share in the divine nature of Christ. But then he's going to say, you've got to add on to the faith that you have. So the knowing needs to turn into a growing. Do you all get that? Okay, because I really want you to understand this passage because it is a very, very precious passage that you should keep in your heart forever. Never forget it. Now let's go to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. You see how knowing is very important? Our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So why did Jesus call us and say, I want you to be my child, my son or daughter? Because God is glorious. God is good. We're not trying to convince God that we're good so He'll love us. He loves us because He is love. He does good to us. Us because he is good and he wants to share his glory, not the glory of his um, divine attributes, but the glory of his morality and his life with us because he is glorious. Now look at this, verse 4, through these, through his glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. What are the adjectives or the marks of God's promises? They are very great and Okay, adjective is something that describes the noun. The noun is the promise. The great and precious are adjectives. Now you know what adjectives are, so you can follow with me. What are the adjectives? What are the descriptive words of God's promises? They are very and precious. When you read through the scriptures, you see the precious and great promises of God. Now because of those things, through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Man, we're already at verse 4 and my mind is blown. You mean little old me, Joe? Peter, Peter, you're talking to little old Joe. You're saying I have precious faith just like you? He's like, yep, because Jesus gave it to you just like he gave it to me. And then, and then Peter, you mean that I actually have all that I need to live a godly life just like you guys had it? Yep, yep, you got it all, Joe. And then, and then Peter, you mean I'm not a sinner anymore? I've been made a saint, and I'm actually dancing and participating with the divine in my nature? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then, and then Peter, you mean I get to escape? I get to escape, get out of the evil world and its desires and corruption? Yep, you don't got to go down with the ship. That's only verse 4. Now imagine if you were in Peter's church and you were just reading the first four verses. You would just be so amazed. And some of you are right now. But this is where i got to pause and I have to ask you, if it doesn't mean what I've just simply have tried to explain it to mean, what does it mean? Because there's a lot of Christians that really don't believe this. They think that they still need to go get things to live a godly life. But it says here, his divine power has already given you everything you need for a godly life. He's, he says you already got it. And Ephesians says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And so, my friends, you better be ready to start dancing with the divine. Because you might have been born naughty in nature, but you were born again in divine nature. Somebody needs to tweet that. Come on. You were born naughty by nature, but you get born again in divine nature. 
Now look at this. That doesn't mean we become God. It just means we become God-like. The word godly means God-like in attributes. And you'll see that in just a few more moments here. Now for this very reason, see, he's going to give us these practical things we need to do in life so that we grow and that continue to show that Jesus is on the inside of us. Growing is showing that Jesus is on the inside of us. So there is a knowing and there is a growing. And growing is the showing that we know Jesus Christ. So for this very reason, that I've been given precious faith, that I've been given everything I need to live a godly life, that I now share in the divine nature, and I have escaped the world and its uh, corrupt desires, for that reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Somebody say goodness. And everybody say knowledge. Everybody say self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection. Everybody say love. Thank you. So there are those seven attributes that we add to our faith. Here they are again, just so you can see them. I'll be going over them in just a little bit. But he said, add to that precious faith that God gave you. Add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and mutual affection means brotherly love, and then love means for all people and for God himself. Now look at what it says here next in verse 8. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, This is where we're getting the idea for spiritual growth, that if I increase in these things, I'm going to grow. If I have them in increasing measure, God is going to do a wonderful work in my life because he wants to bless us through our right behavior. And you'll learn about that. He's already saved us, not because of our behavior, but everybody saved here will not get the same blessings and rewards. Blessings and rewards in God's favor is dealt out to obedient children. So I'm not here trying to be good to get his reward, but I accept that as a blessing. So if he says, hey, Joe, I'll bless you if you're a tither. I'm going to be a tither whether he, sa- whether he blessed me or not, but then I'm going to expect a blessing. If he said, you know, put, you put um, my word in your children. When they get old, they won't depart. I would still teach them no matter what, but I'm going to expect if I have taught them to receive that blessing. Come on, somebody say amen. God does favor his obedient children, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now look at Verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There we go. So do you know people who are quote-unquote Christians, but they're ineffective in their Christian life? They're just ineffective. They don't know how to live right. They don't talk right. They don't raise their family right. They don't know how to manage their finances. They're unproductive. They're not multiplying. They're not disciples making disciples. Do you know why that is? Because of verse 9. Because whoever does not have them, these seven things we just learned is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins so if you're here today and you're saying I've tried this and it doesn't work I'm saying it doesn't work because you haven't tried it it's not working for you because you're not working it and salvation has not made a work in you so growing will come naturally to the born-again child of God because growth is a part of who they are just like naturally your child grows just like naturally a plant grows if it's in good ground and God has planted good ground uh, God has a good uh, word to put into your heart and all of these things but if you're seeing that your Christian walks not moving forward or you're having problems in the way you're living it's not God's fault it's that you're not applying the word of God to your life. You're not increasing in your faith, increasing in your belief and knowledge of him. So that's why he now says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort. Somebody say every effort. 
to confirm, thank you, your calling and election. Now, you remember, confirm your calling and election. Now, look up here to the very first beginning here. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who the, through the righteousness of our God and Savior have received a, as fa a faith as precious as ours. See, here you have been called and chosen to have this faith and to now live for Jesus Christ. And if you understand where faith comes from, okay, now understand this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we've talked about this before when we talked about chosen, the sermon series. So you can choose not to accept God's faith and live in unbelief. The parable that Jesus gives about faith is like this, that there's four different grounds symbolizing our hearts to how we receive the word of God. And it's like a man planting seed as a farmer. If your heart is hard and say, I don't want to believe any of that Bible stuff, the word hits your heart like the stone, and it just remains there, and the devil comes and takes it, right? But if you receive it a little bit, and it grows a little bit deep, and then the sun comes out and scorches your little plant because its roots aren't good, that says that you let persecution and things get in the way of your faith. But remember, the seed is the same in all of these. It's your heart and your will, in that sense, your self-determination of whether or not you believe God and take him at his word that determines whether or not you'll have his promises. God is not going to divinely kidnap you and say, here's faith, and I want you to take it, take it, take it, and you're going to like it, okay, and make you smile. No. The third one is the heart of weeds. It grows a little bit, but it has weeds. How many have read the Bible in this parable before, right? I'm not making this up. And so those are people who continually struggle with sin as they're trying to live for God, one foot in, one foot out, and God is patient with them, yet they don't understand why they're never bringing forth fruit or living a victorious life. It's because they have not been obedient to what Christ has said. But then Jesus says, this is the way it's supposed to be for all of you. A clean heart, getting the word of God deep within it, and keeping that heart pure and clean. And from there, you're growing and increasing in your faith. And that's why he says, you are called to do this. You are chosen to do this in other paths. So now if you don't do this, if you don't make your election sure, you're going to have problems in life. But now look at this. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So it says if I do these seven things, if I add them to my faith, I will never what? Stumble. So is there ever going to come a time where I'm adding these things to my faith and I still stumble? No. Anytime I stumble is because I haven't done these things. Any time that I stumble and fall in sin, it's because I was not obedient to what God told me to do. Now look at it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look at these seven things we are to add to our faith. This is spiritual growth. Ta-da! Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so it's not as tricky as maybe some of you thought it would be. It's pretty simple, right? This is the whole sermon series here. We need to grow in these things. We have already been saved. We have already been um, given everything we need for a godly life. That's taken care of. We're sharing in the divine nature. Can you share in any nature a better nature than the divine nature? No. So this has been done. You have been saved. And now what you have to do is grow in your goodness. Grow in your knowledge. Grow in your self-control. Grow in your perseverance. Grow in your godliness or godlikeness. And grow in mutual affection and grow in love. Each one of us now has, a de has to determine whether or not we want to grow up. If we don't want to grow up, God says he's going to throw up. In Revelation 3.16, it says, if you're lukewarm on Judgment Day, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. How many have seen that passage before? Okay, thank you. Check it out, Revelation 3.16. And so here are the three things that I want you to see. Spiritual growth is easy as one, two, three. 
the three things that we have to see is that, number one, do we believe Jesus is, that God is who he said he is? So when we go up to this passage, the first thing that we see is that Jesus is our God and what? Savior. Do you believe that? Because if Jesus is your God, then nothing is impossible for him. If Jesus is your God, that means he's with you at all times and will never leave you nor forsake you. If Jesus is your God, then death, hell, and the grave have been defeated. If Jesus is your God, he has prepared a place for you after this life to be with him forever. Amen. If Jesus is your God, he has sent the Holy Spirit to be inside of you as a deposit for things to come. And now greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Amen. That's the first thing you have to do for spiritual growth because you cannot grow unless you know who God is. And he's not only our God, that that he could be a God and be distant, but he is our God and personal Savior. So does he ever fail at being a Savior? Is he the best kind of Savior? So when he saves us from sins, how many sins does he save us from, all or some? When he delivers us from the devil, does he deliver us partly and still let us go to the devil's house on the weekends and be molested and touched in naughty places? Or does he keep us safe from that old pervert, the devil? Hello. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let the devil touch you anymore. The devil should have no place touching your, your, your places. You belong to Jesus. Amen. You see, if he is our God, and I believe that he is, and he is our Savior, then that means he is everything and then some in a bag of chips. I don't need to look anywhere else. I don't have to go to a priest, a pope, or any other religious figure. I don't have to now to go into a self-help religion. I don't have to try to better myself because God is my Savior, and he has done it for me. He became what I was so I could become what he is. He became sin that I might become righteous. He died that I might live. Now, is he a good God and a good Savior? He is a good God and a good Savior. So the first part of spiritual growth is just starting where Peter takes us. And that first verse is, do you believe God is who he said he is? And if you go, yep, I'm not going to argue with him. I'm going to believe he's my God, he's my Savior. I'm going to take him at his word, that who the Son sets free is free indeed. He said that I should pray, deliver me, uh, you know, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. He will always do it. He'll never let me down. Anytime I've ever sinned and given into temptation and evil, that wasn't his fault. That wasn't that he was lacking power of God or lacking concern as a Savior. That was because I didn't let him be who he was. Right? If my son ever goes hungry in my house, it ain't my fault. It's because he ain't eating the food I put before him. If you're feeling spiritually, you're being neglected. It's not that God has neglected you. You have neglected God. That's the first thing. Do you believe God is who he said he is? The second thing is, do you believe you are who God said you are? Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because everybody will shout me down about who God is. But let's see if we can keep that shouting as we know who we are. Because what we look to ourselves sometimes, and we see our own personal experience, and we say, well, I came to church, I prayed a prayer, and I don't feel like I have everything I need for life and godliness. Well, that's a lie then. See, you're letting your experience dictate your identity. Your identity should dictate your, your experiences. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So right there, I am being told, I have a godly life, and I have everything I need for a godly life. Now, if you come up to this altar today and you say, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart, and then you walk out of here and you say, I don't believe I have divine power and I don't believe I have a godly life, let me tell you something. You didn't get saved then. 
Because those who are saved will know that they're saved. They will know that Jesus Christ has literally come into their life and has transformed them. If you do not have a witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you you are Christ's child, that is because you are not Christ's child. And I don't mean to say this that, that I, I want to be mean to you. I'm just wanting to tell you the truth. Because I see a lot of people playing religion and they're wondering why they're not getting the same results that Christians are getting. Because you can come to church, you can be around Christians, you can know your Bible, you can do all the good works in the world and still not be born again. See, some of us think we're actually better than Nicodemus. Some of you think that. See, God met with, Jesus met with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a scholar. He memorized books of the Bible. He followed 600 and plus, uh, 613 laws. He did all of these things. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, Sir, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So I want to talk to some of you here that say it quote unquote doesn't work. Have you even done what Jesus has said? Because if you're going to try to stand in your own righteousness, I guarantee you, you're not as good as Nicodemus. And then I want you to think about this. Paul said that he used to hang out with people like Nicodemus and that he was even above average than the people like Nicodemus. So Paul was the man. He was going after the law and doing it. And you know what Paul said about his old life? He said he counted it all but horse manure compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So if you're coming here today and you have horse manure in your life, your religion, and you are wondering why you don't have the aroma of Christ, that is because you got the wrong thing. Religion stinks. Jesus is beautiful. The fragrance of heaven is different than religion. Amen? The religion of this world will have you stink spiritually. I'm being honest with you, and I'm using biblical language, but the aroma of Christ is so beautiful. Get around Christ. Taste and see how good he is. So believe you are who he said you are. When you came to Christ, you were given divine power. You were made godly. And now you participate in the divine nature. You literally have fellowship with God's nature on the inside of you. So there is no excuse for you saying, I don't know right from wrong. I don't know if I have power to overcome my temptations. You have the very power of God, the very nature of God inside of you. And I like to use the word dance instead of participate. So we are literally dancing with the divine. How many are dancing with the divine today? Amen. And once again, if you're saying, no, I'm dancing with the devil, that's why you got to get saved. Stop dancing with the devil. Get out of the corruption of this world. And look at it. It says here, if you're participating with the divine nature, then you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You can't have both. You are either living in the world, being corrupted by evil desires, or you have the participation with Christ. Now, just as a little side note so you guys can see this, turn quickly with me to Galatians and just understand where the world and its evil desires are in, in, in relationship to you. So go with me, please, now to Revel uh, Galatians, rather, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. How many remember this part when we talked about staying in step with the Spirit? Amen. Very simple, easy review. Just look at it. The deeds of the flesh, start in verse 9, are these things, you know, the acts of the flesh, sexual morality, all of that. This is the corruption of the world. Now watch this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its what? Passions and desires. So let me ask you, where is the world and the corruption with, with its evil desires? Where is it in retrospect to you? It crucified in your flesh. 
crucified in your flesh. It is supposed to be counted as dead. The world is not the thing out here. The world is the flesh here. And Christ says it is past tense. Uh, Paul says it is past tense crucified. So you may have a temptation of its desires. You may hear an earthly brain. Like, for example, I may close my eyes right now. We could do an experiment. And one of you could come pop me in the nose right in my face, right? It wouldn't matter who you were. My first reaction would be to pop you back, right? It wouldn't matter. Now, think about it. That's the way the flesh is. And it would be the same thing. I don't want to use this as a way to... Um, to tempt any of us, but let's just be honest, fellas. If there was some provocative female dancer right now trying to shake her little booty, we would have to resist a temptation. And if somebody goes, hey, I don't have to resist, a man says, I don't have to resist the temptation of a dancing woman, it might be because that man is tempted by a dancing man, okay? But let's just be honest, all of us those, all of us here who are sexual beings, we're going to be honest from young to old, right? Young to old, we're going to be tempted. Okay, now this, these are the same kinds of things that Paul describes, but he says, these are the things of the flesh, but you count them as crucified. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Does everybody get that? Can I hear an amen? So passionate and powerful there. So believe that you are who God said you are. And now lastly, here it is, number three, believe you can do what he says you can do. So it's like, it's like, man, do you believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is? He's your God and Savior? Yes, amen, I believe that he's the awesome Savior. He's a perfect Savior. He saves every time. He's God, God alone, okay? Do you believe you are who God said you are? Yes, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. I am born again. I am purified in my soul. I am perfected by the, the sacrifice of Christ, which you'll be learning about. And, and then you go, amen. Okay, now here's the third thing. Here's where the growing comes in from the knowing. Now do you believe? You can do what God said you can do. Do, do you say, do, when you read the Bible, does your heart respond back, amen, let's go, God, let's do it? Because that's what Peter says we should do. Remember, because of those things, he says, for this very reason, and you could basically say it's for the reason of knowing who God is and knowing who God made us to be, who, to, who, who he made us to be for those reasons or the reason just in singular that God is my Savior, I should make the effort to do these things. I cannot just now sit in some, you know, monastery and go, mm, I'm perfect, God loves me, this is all I'm ever going to do. No, because if I'm going to add goodness to my faith, that means I need to go, be out, go out there and be good to people. I need to find people to be good too. I just don't sit around and do nothing to say I'm good. No, I, I need to learn. I need to be, if I'm going to have knowledge, I have to learn knowledge. Now, here's where it gets confusing. Well, hold on. Let me, before I get into my uh, introduction, there's like five introductions today. As a matter of fact, the whole sermon is an introduction. I hope you're ready. Everybody say, bring it. Okay, here we go. Let's make sure you get this. Here's the passage of Peter, spiritual growth. And if you believe it, just say amen. Do you believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is? Amen. Do you believe you are who God said you are? And do you believe you can do what God said you can do? Amen. You're ready to spiritually grow. Now, check this out because here's where it can even get confusing, and I don't know why, but religious people get confused a lot, and we got to get them unconfused. Because I can say all of that, and then now some people, even in this church, can think that this process of growing, the process of doing these seven things, is now going to be some long and tedious journey of endless religious rules and obligations that will lead me to salvation and spiritual change. So the idea is, if I do more, I'll be more. If I do more, I'll be more. If I do more, I'll be more. 
as if when you became a Christian, God threw a lump of clay on the inside of you and said, let's get started. I'm going to start making you a better person the rest of your life on the inside. That is not what Peter is saying. Actually, the Bible is saying the exact opposite of that. The spiritual growth is a growing from a knowing. It's a being from already from a doing. It's from what Christ has already done, what Christ has already accomplished, what Christ has already said you are. And so I want you to go through these scriptures with me so that you'll be reminded that I'm not growing to be saved. I'm growing because I'm saved. I'm not doing good works to become good. I'm doing good works because I've been created good. Are you guys understanding the difference? And just one little example before we go through all of these. Think of my son. When my son was born, he was born of a rostic with the DNA of a wyrostic, right? That is who he is. As he grows, he doesn't become another kind of wyrostic or another wyrostic in nature. He is wyrostic in nature now, and as he grows, he is still the same nature. He is still a wyrostic, but now he does what wyrostics do. And he does that because the more he knows me, the more he'll grow with me and the more he'll understand my ways and so here's the thing only born again people can do the things of God you're not doing the things of God to be born again and no matter how much you grow up in your salvation that's a term you'll see in first Peter no matter how much you grow up in it you can never get more saved you can never get more holy you can never get more perfected because when he saved you the first time he did all of that now it's up to you to believe that and live like that so it's not like a progressive bar even in spiritual growth transformation as you'll begin to learn transformation has to do with me trans god transforming my actual thinking and doing to the person he has already made me to be it's me believing that i am the husband that i am the kind of husband god wants me to be he made me that way and now i need to act that way and when i don't i have to transform behavioral patterns because of who god made me to be created me to be sanctified me to be does everybody understand that Partially, some of you are there. Okay, I was listening on that one. Okay, let's go to see the, th the things that God teaches about us. Let's say uh, we are saved, created brand new, God's masterpiece, spiritually perfected, given a new heart, and purified in soul. Are you guys ready to learn about that? Okay, it's just the introduction. You know that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Here's how we need to know the foundation of what salvation is. Just believe what God said salvation is. For it is by grace you have been Thank you. You have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. That's why Peter said you have faith given to you by God, and this is as precious as the one that we have. So are you being saved or are you saved? Okay, saved literally means rescued. Are you rescued from the devil? Are you rescued from the sin of this world? Are you rescued from damnation, yes or no? Okay, and if saved doesn't mean that, what does it mean? Okay. Like, well, no, I'm still partly in and partly out. No, it's either you're saved or you're not saved. Let's just keep going because I think the point gets clear. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, created new. 2 Corinthians is some of its review for what we talked about uh, last, um, last sermon series as well. But look at this in review, and for some of you it may be new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has, the old has, the new is where? Here. Okay, so where's the new creation? Okay, the new creation, it participates in God's divine nature. It's created for a godly life. It has everything that it needs. Is the new creation a messed up life? Is it a sinful life? Is it an imperfect life? Does God say, okay, you were born a sinner, but now I'm going to make you born again half a sinner and half a saint? The new creation is new, pure and holy. Amen? When God created Adam and Eve, was Adam and Eve pure and holy or messed up? 
When Jesus was born of a virgin and he was born perfect, was he born pure or messed up? Okay, when you were born again, were you born pure or messed up? Okay, now are you God's masterpiece or is God still making you his masterpiece? You are right now. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It doesn't say God is making you a masterpiece. See, that is where we start to get confused with salvation and transformation. Me transforming, uh, God transforming me and how I treat my wife today is not him making me the husband, uh, a good husband. I was born again a good husband. Do you understand? See, the world tells you you have to do these things to get the, to get the reward, like you're going to work for it. So if you want to be a good husband, go do this, 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 and this. Maybe at the end of the day you'll get an A on your report card. That is not how God makes good husbands, good mothers, good anything. Anything good morally is made by God first. And God says to you, husbands here, if you're born again, you are a good husband. You are a godly husband. You've been given everything that you need to live as a good husband. Now do it. And if you say, well, I don't know how, be transformed in what you've been doing to how I want you to do it. Do you all understand that? Now, some of you don't, and that's why we're going to keep reading the scriptures. Amen. Some of you believe it, but you don't, you're like half in and half out. I got a lot more. Trust me. Now, look at this. For we are God's handiwork, or in the NLT, New Living. For we are God's what? Masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do. I mean, I don't know how else, how else could you say it differently than that. So I'm God's masterpiece at salvation. Boom, that's done. He created me anew in Christ Jesus. Boom, I'm a new masterpiece. Why did you do that? So I can do the good things he planned for me to do. So do I start doing, doing, doing and get a lot of do-do so that I can be God's masterpiece? Well, I'm just going to do, 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 do. I'm going to do, 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 do so I can be, 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 be. Is that what the Bible's saying? You do this and you'll be a masterpiece. You do this and you'll be created anew. No, it says, I, I, Jesus said, I made, I made, I made, so you can be, so you can be, so you can do, so you can do. Amen? Now that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And I want to be very honest with you. If someone hasn't told you that, they told you something different than the gospel. Because the gospel is scandalous. The gospel says that someone else did the work for me. Someone else conquered so I could become more than a conqueror. The gospel says I deserve death, but I get life. The gospel says I deserve judgment, but I get seated in heavenly places. The gospel is the gospel of grace. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor of God. And all we have to do is yield and let go and trust. That's all we have to do. That's all he's asking us to do. And then from that place of salvation and transformation and adoption and rebirth, then we live according to his spirit. And now as we live according to his spirit and do all those things he's telling us to do, making every effort, the effort that we're making is coming from his power. The effort I make to transform my living with my wife to be the husband that God called me to be, it's not in my own power. It's in Christ's power. That's why all those scriptures come to bear right now, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So as you're making the effort, Christ is there strengthening you. That's why he said, if you're heavy laden and you're burdened, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. If you feel you're carrying a load and it's heavy, you're not carrying Christ's load because Christ's load is light. Can I hear an amen? 
doesn't mean life won't go, uh, will always go easy for you. It just means your spiritual burden should be like God is carrying it for you. Now, you're spiritually perfected in Christ. Now, let's go to Hebrews 10, 14, because a lot of times we don't understand who we are now in the inner person. When, when you were born again, and this, this is where I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know how God does it. I just know he did it because I experienced it, and the Bible says it. Amen? I believe it. I've experienced it. That settles it. Now, some people say, I believe it, and that settles it, and that's okay, too. But I'm so glad that I can say, I believe it, I've experienced it, and that settles it. Amen? Look at what it says here. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who have been sanctified. Look at this right here in in King James. Those who have been made holy, uh, the NET rather, and we'll do the NSAB as well. Listen at this, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, how many times did Jesus die on the cross? How many times? Once. He has perfected for how long? All time. Those who are what? Sanctified. It's a past tense. It's I was sanctified, set apart from my sin when I was saved. That's the same that's the same place where Paul is speaking when he says that many of you used to be these things, but you're not those things anymore. How many of you used to be a sinner, but you're a saint now? Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by what? The Spirit of our God. So how was I perfected forever? By my own good work? No, by the one sacrifice of Jesus made applicable to me by the Holy Spirit. You see, holiness today is a part of your life, is a part of who you are. And so the question that I want to ask you today is, Has Christ perfected salvation in you? Christ perfected salvation for me. He's a perfect Savior. Now you may say, Pastor, have you sinned since being saved? Yes. Even the Bible says a righteous man may stumble seven times, but he gets back up. The man is still righteous. He hasn't lost his right standing with God nor his identity. But a true righteous man repents, turns back to God, and is cleansed and continues on in his righteousness. When my child sins, does, it stop, does that child, Lucas, stop being a rhirostic? No. They continue to grow in knowing who they are and showing who God has made them to be. And so has God perfected your salvation, yes or no? Does he need your help to perfect it today? No. So see, spiritual growth is not us perfecting ourselves. Christ has already done that. Now go to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Now I wish that I could go through all of these and take a a whole sermon series just on these verses, but I have to get this introduction, this foundation, so we can have confidence in what God is doing in our lives. You are not saving yourself. You're not perfecting yourself. You're not bettering yourself. Spiritual growth is based out of just these simple things, knowing who God is, knowing that God said you are a new creation, and now doing what he said you can do. I wish I could mic drop twice in a service, because I would mic drop right there. That's what it is. Now look at, look at Ezekiel's promise of the new covenant. This is the promise that Jesus is preaching to Nicodemus about in John 3. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand, and then Jesus says to him, you should understand because you're a teacher. This was the promise of the new covenant. He was basically saying to Nicodemus, you guys went to a temple to meet with God, but now God's going to come into your heart and make your heart a temple and be with you there. He's going to live inside of you and transform you and make you holy and new and beautiful on the inside, a masterpiece. Look at what he says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Now when God gives you something new, 
Is it like the car dealership that says this car is new and you go in there and it smells like fish? And you look at the, 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 the miles and it says 1,000 miles and then you look at the tires and the tires are messed up. Does God give you something like that? So is, is your heart new? Is it perfect? Is it holy? Is it blameless? Is it pure from sin? If it's not, then what does new mean? I don't understand what else new means. When God created Adam and Eve new, did they have sin in them, yes or no? When Jesus was born new of a virgin, did he have sin in him, yes or no? When you are born again, do you have sin in you, yes or no? No, so stop living in sin. Stop going back to an old crucified body and following the flesh. Live according to who God told you to do. And add to your faith all those seven wonderful things that we'll be talking about this, uh, this, this sermon series so that you can do all that God called you to do because you are who he said you are. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone. Well, I still got a heart of stone. Well, then you're not saved. Well, I have a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. You're confused. <laughs> okay, you are either a Christian that doesn't know who you are or you're just messed up and you're lost. Now, let me give you an example right here because I know some of you think this is harsh, okay? But let's pretend, you know, I like to play sports more than I like to watch sports. Does anybody here like to play sports? And it's okay to watch sports. Nothing wrong with watching sports. Nothing wrong, men, with, with you know, watching guys in tights and being sweaty on the court and, or on the field and, you know, short shorts on the basketball court. Nothing wrong, guys, with watching that, okay? You know, but listen, I like to play sports. So let's say we go to the batting cages, which is what we like to do. We like to go to bunny hutch, right? And we like to have these little home run uh, derbies where we hit the ball. And if you can hit it over the pitching machine, you know, a straight line drive up above that, you know, it's like that's a home run. So it's like, poof, okay, you get, a, you get a point. So we do these home run derbies to see who can get the most. But let's say you've never been with us and, and you hear, you were talking. And I'm saying, yeah, I get about five or six home runs, and I've been doing pretty good. Someone else says I get six or seven, and maybe there's 20 pitches coming across. And you go, well, I, I get all 20. I get all 20. And now imagine, I, I say, well, i got to see this to believe it, so let's go there. And, and as we get ready to go, we're, we're passing by the slow-pitch uh, softball place. You stop right there, and I'm on my way to the fast-pitch 90-mile-an-hour place, right? And so you, you say, well, this, this, this is where I hit the 20 out of the 20. And I go, hold on, hold on. You mean? You're thinking we're playing home run derby with the slow pitch softball <laughs> comes up and you're just waiting like for 10 minutes and I said no 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 we're not playing there we're playing here at the 90 mile an hour fastball that's where we're hitting home runs are you guys listening you see the problem would be the different of what different definition and some of you are playing life the wrong way and then as a matter of fact you're not hitting the home runs you keep striking out and you're wondering what the difference is we see we're here at the 90 mile an hour but God has taught us how to hit home runs and see the problem is you're playing at the wrong place and you're not even good there and so we, we could pretend that you're good there and you're really making strides and doing good things but you're really not you're really just playing make-believe we want to show you real Christianity which looks like this and I'll show you that God gives you the power to do it can I hear an amen let me just make the example even more clear for you you know God commands us to run and to do all these things according to the law and then sometimes we wonder can we do it on our own and we find out that we fail every time listen to this quote right here this is a grace quote run John Run, the law commands, but God gives us neither feet nor hands. Or excuse me, that's ruining the point there. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us to fly and gives us wings. This is long before the Red Bull commercial of wings. Wings to fly. You see, you're wondering why the problem is where you're at. It's because you're at the wrong place and with the wrong person. 
God gives you a new heart. He puts a new spirit in you. He removes from you the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And then now look at what he promises. And I will put my spirit in you, capital S spirit. He gives you that small s spirit, like in the sense of it's your spirit. But now he puts in, your, he puts in his spirit in you, and he moves you to follow his decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Once again, how many people have God today in their lives? Are you born again? Did you get a new spirit? Did you get a new heart? And is God's spirit inside of you? He's moving you, is he not? And let's look to the last one right here, that you're purified in your soul. Remember I said Peter wrote two letters. Here's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now some people say, you know, pastor, you know, salvation happens instantaneously, but sanctification takes a lifetime. And I say to them, you're wrong. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Because sanctification is never used in the progressive sense. It's always used in the completed sense. I've already showed you twice, once in Hebrews and the other one in Corinthians. And now I'll show you again in 1 Peter 1.22. Now you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Has anybody here been purified by obeying the truth? Well, Pastor, I'm still being purified. Why? Why are you still being purified? You're either living in continual sin and that's a problem and maybe in some way you are being purified or you are not saved because the saved one has been purified. When I married my wife, I stopped dating. I either have stopped dating or I'm lying. Are you listening? Are you pure in your heart today? You should be. Look at it again. Sometimes I just want to know what you all believe the Bible says when it says this. Like I almost wish I could look into your brain because some of you are like, I don't know if I get that. I don't know. Maybe there's another verse that says it differently. I challenge anybody, all my friends here, please show me other verses that you think say it differently. And I'll show you every time. It's always saying it this way. Purification, being washed, being justified, being sanctified, being saved, being born again, being made a masterpiece, being made a new creation, being perfected in salvation, being given a heart transplant, being moved by the Spirit. It's all looked at as the same event we call salvation. It's all looked at in the same event being called born again. And the moment you believe that, you'll be able to do what saved people do. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Stop it, sassy Peter. Nobody's perfect. Could you just imagine stopping Peter while he was preaching? Peter, nobody's pure. No one knows a man's heart. It's so wicked on the inside. Yeah, but that was the Old Testament scripture about sinners. Jesus says he'll give us a new heart. Don't trust, you know, because there's a scripture that says don't trust the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who knows it, right? And then Christians want to tell me that's how my heart is today. Well, then by your own confession, you're lost on your way to hell because that's what a sinner's heart looks like. My heart looks like Ezekiel 36. What does your heart look like? What do you have in your wallet? What do you have in your soul, man? I have a purified soul. Well, you just, you holiness preachers, you're so goody two-shoes. You know, I grew up hearing about these holiness preachers always being bad. Now, I understand that we make, if they make rules outside the Bible, that's a bad thing. But if I'm telling you to live holy for God is holy, be perfect for your heavenly Father's perfect, your soul is purified, is that a bad thing? I'm telling you what Jesus said. How else can I read this? Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. You see, because I've been purified, I can love you from a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
have the eyes of your heart been opened and have you seen God? Has your heart been purified? And the word there, yourselves, is literally your soul. Because some people like to say, well, my spirit was saved, but my soul is still jacked up. Well, I am so sorry that you are a Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. You need to stop that. Stop that belief system. Look at it with the literal Greek. And I'll just show you right here so you don't think translations are playing tricks on you. Sometimes the NIV just wants to make it a little bit easier for you to understand, but it actually, I think, makes it complicated. The Greek word there, yourselves, in the Greek, is psyche, soul. Do you guys see that coming up right there? Psyche. Does everybody see it? Do you want to see how it sounds when it's pronounced? Can you put up the volume here, please? Put up the volume, and you'll hear what this word is. It is your soul. It's where we get the word psychology from. Listen right here. Is it up? On the Mac, please. Yes, sir. Here we go. Here we go. Of course, it just shut down there, but listen, I will listen to the word. Why are you being naughty? Why are you being naughty? Pronounce. Pronounce it. Psyche. There we go. Psyche. And that's where we get the word psyche from. Now, look at how the King James or NET or any of these other versions have translated. They translate it correctly so you can understand. You have purified your, so is my spirit just pure or is my soul pure? Soul and spirit, right? Both. I didn't mean to make that a trick question. Let me ask it again. Is only my spirit pure or is both my soul and spirit pure according to the Bible? Both. You have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order. In order. See, because I became, now I can do. Because God made me a masterpiece, now I can do what a masterpiece does. Because he made me a Ferrari, I can drive like a Ferrari. Because he made me in love, I can love. Because he made me in peace, I can be peaceful. Hello. One more time. You have, I just love reading this. Lord, thank you for purifying my dirty old soul. You have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order to show sincere mutual love. So now love one another earnestly from what kind of a heart? A pure heart. You have been born anew, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed through the living, enduring Word of God. Is anybody born again here? Are you saved? Do you know that you're saved? Well, let's live saved. Amen? And that is so really just the introduction. I really, really am reading, look at it, from the introduction. See, here's the top and here's the introduction, okay? That is so sincere, the introduction. And so, continuing with the introduction, now your spiritual growth, according to Peter, knowing who God is, knowing who God made you to be, and knowing what he called you to do, your spiritual growth is learning to live according to the new, holy, and perfect nature. Knowing your identity in Jesus as righteous and now acting like it, and truly being transformed in your actions. The transformation is in your actions. Sanctification and transformation are separate. Sanctification has to do with your nature. Transformation has to do with your thinking and way of living. And truly being transformed in your actions because you have been completely sanctified and set apart from sin. So how many want to see some examples of that? Can I show you? Okay. So here are the things that we need to grow up in. And this is what the sermon series will be about. We need to grow up in goodness because God has made us to be good. We need to grow up in knowledge because God made us to know him. That's why he gave us a conscious mind to have self-control because God has made us to keep it in control. To persevere because God has made us to finish the race. Godliness because God has made us like him. Can't be, can anybody here be godly without God? Okay, you cannot do that. Did I already give you the example about the chicken? You can't make yourself a chicken? Did I already tell you that? Okay, here we go. You can no more make yourself godly than you can make yourself a chicken and lay an egg right now. 
And I want you to think about how hard it would be for you right now to become a chicken and lay an egg. Think about that. How hard would it be to transform yourself to become a chicken and lay an egg? It, it would be easier for you to do that than to become godly. So stop thinking self-help is going to help you. The first thing Jesus said was deny yourself. Take up your cross. Why? That's where your flesh goes. And to follow him in the beauty of the spirit. Mutual affection, because God is love, you're going to love. And there's a secondary sense of love there, the greater love. Well, not a greater love, but an, uh, an all-encompassing love. The brotherly love is having, you know, that, that communal fellowship with each other. And then this kind of love goes deep into everything that you do. Now, here's some, th some things that I want you to remember as we look at spiritual growth. The first thing that we need to remember as a foundation is that your spiritual nature is not the same as your spiritual maturity. Everybody go, mature. So just because, let's say right now somebody comes up here and asks Christ into their heart. They are perfect and righteous in him. They have been saved, sanctified. You know, God has put his spirit in. That is all true. That doesn't mean they're mature. They may walk out of here and act like a sinner still because they have not learned to know who God made them to be. For many of you, that's why you have changed your theology to an unbiblical theology because your experience was something very progressive. But you didn't understand what was really happening. The more you progressed and started to live differently, that wasn't because you were making yourself a better person. That was simply because you were starting to rely upon the power and the inner nature that Christ had already put within you. Do you guys get that? So when I became saved and I was still smoking and then I stopped smoking, it's not like then I became a non-smoker in heaven's eyes. I was created a non-smoker the day I was born again. And all that time I was living in unbelief and not believing I was a, a non-smoker until I finally said, I'm going to trust you, God, to be who you called me to be. So I didn't make myself a non-smoker three months after salvation. I was made a non-smoker at salvation. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, how do we know what is real then? Because it sounds like you're playing a mind game. No, the reality of Christ is who God says we are. The reality of heaven is more real than this earth. The realities are true, even if you don't see them. We live by faith, not by sight. So you may look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I'm still having all kinds of temptation. I find myself sinning. Does that mean I'm not a saint anymore? Well, here's the thing. If you've truly confessed Christ, you may very well be a saint, but you lack faith to grow up and live how he asked you to live. And so that's why I want you to have this example in your mind. When my son Lucas was born, he was born as a human baby. And now he must grow up and mature to be a man, a human man. And as all of people grow up like that, spiritual babies must mature to be the disciples, the mature disciples that God wants. When my son goes from different stages of growth, his nature doesn't change. He's just growing in his nature to know and to do what he should do. Is everybody with me? Now, can I show you that in the Bible? How many want to read the Bible? Okay. First Peter chapter 2, uh, once again, going back to that book in First Peter chapter 2, 2 through 3. Look what it says. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, so that you may what? Grow up in your salvation. Does it say that you may grow up to salvation, to have salvation? No, you're growing up in your salvation. My son is growing up in his house. He has a house, but he doesn't have a key to it yet because he's not grown enough to mature it. He's growing up in my car, and one day that can be his car, but he's not mature enough to drive it yet. So as a spiritual babe, you're growing up in your identity. You're growing in it. It's who you are. It's who God created you to be. 
Now, there's a problem because there are people in the church who don't know who they're created to be, and they keep living like little babies, and it's not what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be growing up knowing who they are. And look what Hebrews 5.12 says. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Come on, some 101 leaders need to say amen to that. You got some people right now, you've been 101 for three years. You need to get out of 101. Come on, let's graduate. Now, some of you are right where you're supposed to be, and I don't want to make you feel condemned. I'm just saying there comes a time where you need to grow up, amen? Some people get hindered, and they'll stay in that process forever. It says, you need milk, not solid food. He's upset with them. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the what? The mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between what? Good and evil. According to the Bible, watch this. What is a mature Christian? Somebody who knows the, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the Antichrist, and can tell you uh, what the Pope is going to do in the end times? Is that what the Bible says is a mature Christian? No, a mature Christian is somebody who's acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. So for those of you who don't quite understand it, that's okay. You're maturing. You're growing to know who you are. And how do you know you're good at it? Because you've been trying to distinguish good from evil. Good from evil. That's Christian maturity. Knowing the right things of God and doing them. Does everybody see that? It's cute when you give a little baby a bottle, when you change their diapers. But I don't want to have to change Ishmael's diapers today. Are you listening to me? That would only be because if there was something drastically wrong with it, because a healthy man should be able to do it on his own. Could you imagine me going in there going like, oh, my goodness, what did you eat last night, Ishmael? What is in here? Wouldn't that be gross? And isn't that what it feels like, you think, for me as a pastor when I'm dealing with people, dealing with people, and I'm like, why don't you just grow up into who Christ made you to be? You still want the bottle, but we got to part the whiskers to give it to you. There's a problem. Hello? Somebody say, grow up. See, remember, God made you a son or a daughter of him, a daughter of a king. God made you holy. And he's saying, now act holy. Now be holy, for I am holy. Now love from a pure heart, so forth and so on. Now the next thing that you need to see is that your spiritual identity is different than your spiritual growth. As I was giving that example about the person in a monastery, they could say, yeah, I've been born again. But they could stay in that monastery all the rest of their life and never really grow spiritually because they're not getting out into the real world where Jesus was. Did Jesus run away to a monastery or was he in the real world? So spiritual growth happens in the family. It happens on the job. It happens when people don't like you. It happens all the time in ways you and I don't want it to happen, okay? It happens when people do things to get on your nerves. That's when you have to grow in how you treat people. It may come natural for you to want to cuss them out, just like it would come natural for you to want to defend yourself or natural to want to lust. But you're not living by your nature. You're living by the divine nature. You're not living by your nature. You're living by the divine nature. Somebody needs to tweet that. Come on, that was a good one. It's coming out with all these today. Here's an example of knowing the difference between your identity and your, and your growth. Just like how Jesus was born perfect and yet had to grow in wisdom, application of knowledge, that's wisdom. Everybody say application of knowledge. It's knowing how to do things the right way. That's what wisdom is. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, so must we grow as new creations in our wisdom. So when Jesus came out in the virgin birth, did he come out as a man and be like, come on, Mary, let me out of here. <laughs> hey, Mary, I'm Jesus. Is that how Jesus came? No, he came as a baby. Look at what it says. Luke 2, 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Do you know why that is? 
is because Jesus did not come to be our superman. Jesus remained God, but he set aside his divine privileges of God and made himself like a man, just like us. And so he was the second Adam. He was the second one to be created perfect. And he showed us that you can always do what God asks you to do. It will never be beyond your ability. Father will never ask you to do what you can't do. And so he did what Adam wouldn't do. And see, Adam was perfect, but Adam didn't want to mature. See, Adam's identity was perfect. Was he not created perfect, Adam and Eve? They were created perfect. They had a perfect soul, perfect spirit, and a perfect body. And yet God wanted them to have wisdom. They wanted God wanted them to experience things, to mature and to grow and to know the difference between good and evil, but it wasn't going to be done the easy way through taking a fruit and then bringing suffering upon the world. But they thought it would have been easier that way, and it actually became devastating. And so unlike Jesus, we don't have a perfect body, but when we're born again, we're born with the same perfect nature, but now we don't know everything. We don't know everything about the Bible. We have to be taught. We have to learn how to live it out. And then we continue to grow. Does everybody get that? And then when you die, look at this, when your body dies, that soul and spirit goes to heaven. Now, some people who believe that you're jacked up here, even as a Christian, have to believe now that death becomes your savior. Because if you're not purified here, then when you die, you become purified. Death is now your savior. But it doesn't say you become a new creation at death. It doesn't say you become a new creation when you enter heaven. You go into heaven as a new creation. The only ones who can go there are saints, created, blameless, and spotless. Oh, you all looking at me, Craig. How many believe that only blameless people go to heaven? Well, I guess I got to show you now. I guess I got to show you blameless and spotless because you know what? We look at ourselves and we go, well, God, just take me as I am. Take me to heaven right now. Like God's going to bring you to heaven with all that pornography in your heart and all that junk in your heart. That is not the way it's going to happen. Can I show you? Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. Same book, Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. Look at what it says. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands given by the Lord our Savior and the apostles. 14, rather. That was a cool verse, too. I was like reading it like it was going to say exactly what I wanted it to say. I was like reading it. I was like, oh, man, it's not saying what I needed to say. So then, everybody say, so then. Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That's another mic drop, is it not? Who gets to go? The blameless, the spotless. Now, some people like to try to come up with conundries or, or, or contradictions, you know. Well, pastor, if I've just committed a sin and then I die, will I still be allowed into heaven? I believe so because the blameless, the, the, the spotless is what Christ has made you to be, and he's gracious in those times. But if you are to live on, you are to confess those things and continue in the blamelessness, spotlessness, purity of heart that God created you to be. Think about God giving you a beautiful uh, water bottle, and it's purified. Dirt may get in it. Things may happen. But God, you can purify and get it out. Don't keep it in there, and don't keep drinking it. Repent. Let God keep you pure, because that's how he's made you pure. Does everybody get that? Amen. Now, continuing on, I want you to think of that with Jesus. Jesus is growing, even though he is a, a perfect man. God can perfect us in our salvation, but we still grow because we don't always know how to act. Unlike Jesus, we have an imperfect body, so we have a temptation that comes from the inside, from our own brain, our own thoughts, etc. But we can consider as crucified and live holy because just as Jesus was, so are we in this world. And so that's how we should look at ourselves. We're like Jesus in this world. Can I hear an amen? How many believe that's in the Bible? 
Okay, I don't have to go there. Good, we've been over that. Now, your sanctification is not the same as your transformation. Now, this is quickly in closing. This is where it gets a little deep, but I need you to follow here with me. This sanctification word is that big word, but it happens instantaneous at salvation where your nature is changed and your position is changed. And so now, let me just show you the difference. First Corinthians, look at First Corinthians right here. Let me just show you. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, okay? And then also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm just going to summarize this in closing here, and then we'll end with some prayer. Okay? So let's look at this. And it may look like a contradiction, but you have to separate them, okay? Now look at sanctification. It happens when I was justified. Justified is another term of salvation. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Were you washed when you were saved? Were you washed? Were you sanctified? Sanctified means to be made holy, set apart from sin. Were you justified? Justified had never sinned. That's what you can remember that as. God cleanses you. Did that happen when you were saved, yes or no? It did, yes, right? Okay, now watch. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all with unveiled faces we contemplate, oops, the Lord's glory, and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now this is where people become confused. They say, well, Joe, I thought you said we were sanctified here, past tense, but now it says we are being transformed here, present tense, into ever-increasing glory. And so then what people will say is that you were sanctified, you are being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. You were saved, you are being saved, present tense, and then you will be saved. But that is never the language of the Bible, and I don't have time to dismiss those scriptures where they use, but I'll make the point clear here. This is not the word sanctification. The word tra transformation is the idea of coming into Christ's perfect image. When you look at Colossians, as I have in our notes here, and I'll give you this example in just a moment, but when you look at Colossians, the old self is taken off and the new self is given, then the new self is renewed in the image of its creator. And so what this word uh, image is implying is that Jesus in his resurrected form is the perfect example of God and man. The resurrection makes Jesus the firstborn among the dead, now among many brethren, as you continue reading in Colossians. And so this is what Adam and Eve were supposed to get. Adam and Eve were created perfect, but they did not have a glorified body. So we have to assume that at some point in God's first plan of creation, Adam and Eve then would have been glorified, able to transport themselves, walk through walls, and not have blood, but only flesh and bone. Yet they sinned, and so we went down this path of getting glorification. Everybody say glorification. Jesus shows us what glorification looks like. His image is God in man, perfect with a resurrected body that has died and come back anew. It was sown perishable, now it's uh, resurrected imperishable. Are you guys with me? And the Bible says in Corinthians that the flesh that Jesus had after he raised from the dead was a different kind of flesh. It wasn't the same kind of flesh that was come from the dust of the earth. That is what Paul is talking about here when he says you're being transformed into his image. And just track with me. When you are doing the right things in this body, you are imitating the resurrected Christ. You are imitating what Christ would do in his perfect body right now in heaven. You're doing that from glory to glory, not from glory to gory. You keep sinning from sinner to saint, sinner to saint. It's from glory to glory. The new self is already there. Remember Colossians says the new self is already there, but it's that new self, that perfected self, that, that holy self that is renewed 
renewed, or as Paul says here, glorified from glory to glory until the resurrection. Now, after that, we may continue to go from glory to glory in different ways, but we can now know that this is not a sanctification term. This is not a term of separation from sin. This is not a term in relationship to salvation. And that is the same kind of usage of it in Romans chapter 12. Where Now, watch. I'll show it to you, and some of you maybe have seen it. I know people will point it out to me, and they'll go, well, I'm supposed to still be being transformed, and they'll use it as sanctification. But look at what's getting transformed. It's not your nature. Watch. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifice. So right there, you know you're not your body. Your soul has been saved. Your body's a sacrifice to God, and that's the way you love him because you say, you body, you're going to raise your hands. You're going to clap. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to be holy. You're going to do what God says. This is your true and proper worship. Now watch this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Remember, we've learned the pattern of the world is the flesh's sinful desires. You guys have seen that, right? It's also in James. We read it in Galatians, and it's there in Peter. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch this, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, what is good, pleasing, and how can I live a perfect will in this body? I can only do it by being renewed in my mind day by day to know how to live it out. It doesn't say I'm being made new and I never get to become new. That's not what renewed means. What renewed means is an upgrade. And I'll show you what it looks like in an example. So some of you think I'm tricking you, but I have it all right here. And I have a nice little cute example. And this is the time we play some soft music in the background. Watch. Imagine this. Imagine those of us who used to have old cell phones, like a Motorola cell phone. How many of you guys can go old school with that? Okay. Now think about this. You have an old Motorola cell phone. That's your old self. When you get born again, you get a new iPhone. The iPhone and Motorola, totally separate phones. You don't have to ever go back to that old Motorola phone again. You guys get that? That is literally what Colossians is talking about, and we'll read about the new cell, okay? How many have a new cell? How many have a new creation? Okay, now watch. When you receive this iPhone, a transformation happens from time to time when they do updates. When they update it, does it become then a Motorola? No. It just gets new functions for the iPhone. But it's still an iPhone. And it's still an iOS, iPhone operating system. It just went from 1.0 to 1.1. You get it? But what is the purpose of the upgrade? The purpose of the upgrade is for the function. And it's an iOS. When God gave you salvation, he gave you an inner man to grow. Just like a son, my son grows, and to grow in maturity, never trying to become a child of God or becoming a new person. You are that. But as you grow, you get new functions, new gifts, new talents, new things that God, and his, this is the difference of Apple, is God already had at the very beginning. Because in Ephesians, you see, in Ephesians, you already were given every spiritual gift and, and, and blessing in heavenly places. And now what happens is the transformation of mind or from glory to glory is you begin to apply those things into your life. See, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I am not progressively being saved. I've already been saved. I'm not progressively being, uh, being um, sanctified. I've already been sanctified. But what is transforming the gifts that God gives me. I never had the gift of a wife until Nancy, uh, Nancy came into my life by God's grace. And then my mind had to be transformed, upgraded to how to live as a man of God with a wife. 
And I had to tap into that identity that Christ made me as a child of God and assume that he's already given me everything for life and godliness. So somewhere there in my tool chest needed to be the ability to be a good husband. I didn't need to get saved again. But when I started to use that, which God had already given me, that was a transformation of my mind. I started to become patient because God made me to be patient. And when I did that, boop, boop, I upgraded. Now, this is where I don't want you to get confused and think I am being upgraded to salvation. It's not to salvation. It's just to different behaviors. It's to different actions. Do you all understand that? Can I get an amen? See, I want you to think about it. Listen to it again as we hear Peter. See, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Do you have everything you need right now to live a godly life? There's a single man right here. He is not married, and he really wants to be married, ladies. No, I'm just kidding. I love Rocky. Keep the music playing. It's getting hot up here. Please help me. But has God already given him everything he needs to be a godly husband? Because being a godly husband is a part of his life, right? And the day he got saved, he got everything he needed for a godly life. So being a godly husband is already there, okay? Now watch. Is he acting like it now? Probably not. He, he may have attributes of a good man, but he doesn't have, like, conversations with a woman and have to be patient with her in her special times of the month and all of these unique things that I probably shouldn't talk about, what marriage is. But watch. One day that will happen, right? Like, here's the woman, and here's her going through an emotional time or whatever. At that moment... God will transform him into acting as that man he called him to be and upgrade him to peace and patience to a husband level. But he's had it all along in Christ. And so I know it seems a little bit complicated, and that's where people get confused, but it's really not that complicated. If you simply just look at what I was sharing here at the beginning, spiritual growth is, according to Peter, learning to live according to your new and holy nature. Or I could just say godly nature instead of perfect. See, some people like the word godly instead of perfect. But is God perfect? Be perfect as your heavenly father. So it's like when I say the word perfect, everybody gets like, like all afraid. Like I'm telling you like I never make a mistake or I know every mathematical equation. What I'm just telling you is I am a perfect son of God. I am a perfect creation of God. I, I am not missing anything. I'm complete. Another word of perfect is complete. I'm not looking for more parts of salvation like I'm a puzzle piece here. Hello. So spiritual growth is, is learning how to do that and knowing your identity as, in Jesus as being righteous and acting like that. Because I was created righteous, I can act righteous. And then truly being transformed, here's where it comes in the transformation language in the Bible. Truly being transformed in your actions, being transformed in those actions, acting like the resurrected Christ, acting like him in your action because you've been sanctified and set apart from sin. Can I put a closing to this? Are you all ready to close? Amen? Let me just put a closing to this here. Think of it like this. Spiritual growth, here we go. Spiritual growth is all about knowing God intimately and growing practically to live holy and godly lives because we were born again to grow. Knowing and growing. Knowing and growing. Peter said, grace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us divine power for everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. We add knowledge to our faith. And then here at the end, if we do these things, we will be productive and, effect and effective. If we don't, we'll be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we should make our uh, election and calling sure 
because we don't want to stumble. See, it's all, we, all about knowledge. I'll do these things. I'll grow in these things because I know these things. And so just in closing, I have preached my little heart out or my big heart out, whatever one you want to call it. But I give it all I could give to you guys today. Would you now just turn that down, sir, and go to the song that I want us to play for closing here. Oh, you know what, Ishmael, would you please come play um, Your Love is Extravagant. Let's give it up for Ish as he comes. Thank you. Did that make sense today, Ishmael? Will you be kind of like my, uh, my Ed McMahon here? Yes, I, I love it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No, thank you. I want everybody just to, um, can you put, yeah, leave that up here. Okay, let's now make it practical because everything from th this point on is really going to be practical. Today, let's start from the beginning. Let's everybody look up at me, please. From the beginning, do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? Is he your God and Savior? Just think about that for a little bit. Just, you know, what does God mean? You know, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, transcendent, imminent. Nothing is impossible for him. Creator, you know, God. Okay, Jesus is God. Savior, deliverer, healer, rescuer, friend of the sinner. How many are so happy that Jesus is friends of sinners? He looks for the lost to bring them in. Praise God. So do you believe Jesus is God and Savior? If you do, just in an attitude of prayer, you can either close your eyes. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say close your eyes or bow your head. But we do that in our culture just not to be distracted. But in any way, I op eyes open or closed, just simply, if you came here today and were struggling with that, do what the Bible says and confess Jesus to be your Lord, to be your God. Say, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my God, you're my Savior. You know, now for those of us who are already saved, you can never confess it too much, right? Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my God. Thomas, after he saw the resurrected Christ, he was doubting at first, you know, whether or not Jesus really raised from the dead. After he saw the wounds and touched him, etc., he fell to his knees and said, my Lord, my God. Oh, isn't that amazing? Now next, still in an attitude of prayer, let's go to the next part. Do you believe you are who God said you are? If you've confessed Jesus as your Lord, at this stage in our prayer, you are saved. But I know there's people who've been saved a long time that doubt with it, uh, that doubt this. And so you may be newly saved today or been saved for a long time, and you're doubting this. Would you confess to the Lord your doubts and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me when I don't believe I'm a new creation. Forgive me when I think you've made me to be junk instead of your masterpiece, because when I complain and act like there's no better way for me to live, that's, that's what I'm doing, God. I'm acting like you made junk. Some of you right now, you really need to search your heart on that because this world might have beaten you up, and you may look at your experience sometime and go, well, I, you know, I don't feel like a new creation. Well, Jesus didn't say new creations will become one when they feel it. it says anyone in Christ becomes a new creation. So when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a fact. I don't know what a feeling I get to be my father's son. I don't know. I mean, I've just always grown up knowing it. I don't know if I've ever really felt it. I mean, I know, I know he loves me, but you could do that with another man, like if a man wasn't my real father and, and loved me. But how do I know the fact is true I am of his DNA? I just believe my parents, that I'm not adopted, right? And so it's really like that. It's like even if you can, you know, say sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't, that's not the point. It's do you know the fact. 
that you are born again? You know, do you know the fact? And then now the next thing is, has to do with the Holy Spirit, is do you believe you can do what God said you can do? So now that should be all of us here. And God always asks us to do things that are bigger than what we can imagine, right? We think they're impossible. And so we need to be led by the Spirit, hear the voice of God guiding us in life. And so right now, would you search your heart and say, God, what are the things you want me to do? And is there anything that uh, you've been asking me to do that I haven't been doing? And so if you've been praying with me all this day, even if you came in here and you knew nothing about God or came from another religion, you would literally be at the same place I am because that's the prayer I'm supposed to pray. God, what do you want me to do? Because I, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe I am who you said I am. Now, Lord, I believe I can do what you said I can do. What does it look like to live for you today, to grow up and serve you, to not be a spiritual babe anymore, to distinguish good from evil, to be trained in righteousness? Are you with your husband or wife today, married couple? Maybe you should hold their hand and say, Lord, train us in righteousness to be the married couple you called us to be. Because that's who the promise is given to, get to them, what God has joined together and let no man tear apart. The promise, the promise is to those who know who they are in Christ. Maybe you're with your children right now. You could pray for them. Or if you're just with a good friend and you know some of their life and you just want to just start to pray for them, you can. Because today we all need to do this. I'm going to grow because I know. And when I grow, I'll show what I know. I'm going to grow because I know. And when I grow, I'll show that I know. There is a precious move of the Spirit in this room. Let's just keep here for a few more moments. And then this last song I hope will bless you guys so much. But let's know and grow with Jesus today. Let's show the world that we know Him. Let's show our families. Let's show our jobs. And for those of you right now that are getting those things that, uh, you know, God wants you to do, and you say, well, I don't know if I can do it. There's transformation. That's what you need right now. Say, Lord, transform me. Transform me. Transform my thinking. Okay, God, you want me to be a good father. I don't know how to do it. So transform my thinking. You said you would. You said that that my body would be a living sacrifice. You transform my mind, and I could prove and test your good, pleasing, and perfect will today, God. I don't want a jacked-up will. I want a perfect will. So show me your perfect will. Transform my thinking. Enable me, move me to do it. That's why I love services like this, because I'm taking the, um, the priority off of me to be your Savior and try to force you to go out of here and do something different. The practicals, the, the real de- you know, details of this will come later in our series, but it's still always just going to be about you knowing and growing in Christ and you showing that you are knowing him by your growing. So right now, say, Lord, transform my thinking if it's not right. If, it, if this thing seems challenging, and I know it will for many of us, right? Uh, Lord, transform it, transform it, you know, transform me to a patient person in traffic. Transform my my actions to being patient with my wife and kids. Transform me as a pastor to care more about the people that are here than the the ones that aren't here. Uh, I care about them that aren't here, Lord, but I can't be so consumed with it. i got to focus on what you're doing here in the now. Those are a few of mine, just a few more moments. A few more moments, God. We believe you are who you said you are. And we believe that we are who you said we are. And we can do what you said we can do. You made me. 
Let's just sing this. Your love. Your love. And would you stand and worship as we get ready to go today? Is extravagant. Altar workers, would you come? We're going to pray, but let's sing Your before we go. Your friendship, oh God. It is intimate. One more time. Your love. See, this is how we grow today, knowing him. Your love. Knowing that he loves us. Oh, yes, Lord. Is extravagant. Your friendship. Your friendship. It is so intimate. It is intimate. Now, come on. Think about your growing. You're dancing with the divine as we sing this. I feel like moving. I feel I'm moving to the rhythms of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in a secret place. Because your love. Come on, how many do you love them today? Is extravagant. Let's sing it one more time from the top. Just worship him. This is your growth today. Your love. It will come so natural. Just like a plant, a garden in the sun with good soil, you will grow naturally today in the love of God. Your friendship, your friendship, God, it is intimate. I feel I'm moving to the rhythms of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in the secret place. Cause your love is extravagant. Now listen to this part. Keep playing it like that. Come on. Here it is. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. There's nothing I can do. I knew cause you made me new. I knew cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. There's nothing that I can do. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. There's nothing I can't do. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. There's nothing. If you believe it, would you sing it one more time? I'm new. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. I'm new cause you made me new. There's Let's pray. God, you made us new. That's why I'm new. So often, Lord, when I preach these messages, it's easier to tell everybody they're a sinner. Because I'll, I'll, I'll talk as a pastor and I'll go, you know, you're a sinner. And I, you know, you're a sinner. And people go, yeah, 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 I get it. But, Lord, when I preach like this and I say, you're righteous in Christ. You've been made godly. You're a new creation. Lord, sometimes I can see it's so hard for people to believe. But, Lord, we're new because you made us new. 
Help us to believe that today, that you're a good God, you're a good Savior, and that you don't fail, and that what you've started in us, you will complete, and we will finish our race, and we'll be and do all that you called us to do as your masterpiece. So as we leave out here today, may we be adding to our faith these things, because I want to believe it, God. Come on, you're adding to your faith seven things this series. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. You remember I asked you three questions. Do you believe in God? Do you believe you are who he said you are? Do you believe you can do? That's called faith. And you're adding seven things this series to that faith. Woo! God, help us. No more excuses because I don't ever want to stumble. I want a rich reward in heaven. You said I don't ever have to stumble, but I can receive a rich reward in heaven. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. There's nothing I can do. One more time. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. I'm new because you made me new. And there's nothing I can do. Send us out of here believing it today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? you got to sing and rap it, Pastor, here. But I just do that because I love you guys. And I love Jesus. Slap your neighbor high five and say, let's do it. Come on, God bless you as you go 